Welcome to another episode of Consider This. Um, and as you can tell, we have, uh, I would say, Ryan, greatly improved the quality of our speakers, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Only, only half the team left to replace and we'll be good to go. Uh, and I'm not even saying anything about you and I. I mean, they, we could have replaced any of the guys on the team, including you and I, with these two, and it was definitely a step up. Um, and so for those of you on the Consider This uh, side of things, uh, this is Chad Ragsdale. Chad, why don't you hey. raise your hand so they can see which one you are. Yeah, that's Chad. And uh, Chad is the incoming heir apparent academic dean at Ozark Christian College. And uh, just love him and the work that he is doing at Ozark and uh, really grateful to have him on this. And then uh, some of you study brookers would know this other person, Michael DeFazio, who came and preached a, a wonderful message beginning of December, and we are grateful for his ministry at Ozark Christian College. Um, some of you guys might not know uh, that Chad and Michael, along with um, with Doug, and I think it's just the three of you almost all the time. Is that not correct? Generally, yeah. 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 The three of you um, have a great podcast called Every Thought Captive. And so we just decided that in light of um, just the way that we're doing a lot of our communicating in that Zoom platform, uh, that not only would it be good for us to uh, maybe have this conversation. So today we're going to be talking about online church or e-church. Uh, what are some of the benefits and the limitations of doing church, not by regularly gathering together, but by gathering in our homes um, and then watching a service. We thought it'd be good for us to talk about that. And uh, literally, guys, we couldn't think of anybody that we'd rather do this with than, uh, than the two of you. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad to be Thank here. You. I actually thought you were talking about the quality of your sound whenever you said improved your speakers. It took me a while to realize you were trying to be flattering. So thanks. Oh, for the no, no, no. We, I, I, meant, uh, I meant the in insights that the two of you are going to bring to mm. the table. Um, Ryan and I are here basically just as window dressing. So, um, but thanks for coming, guys. Um, I'm going to begin. And uh, Chad, I'm just going to kind of open this first question up to you. And then, Michael, you can chime in. And then Ryan and I might have a, a, some additional comments that we want to make. But um, you know, I, I think that it would be fair to say that the four of us would have a, uh, a cause to be at least hesitant um, that if there was not a coronavirus situation that would have come up, uh, the idea of e-church or online church isn't something that we would consider to be optimal um, in any way, shape, or form in terms of how the church gathers, functions, worships, receives the Lord's Supper, all of that kind of stuff. So we kind of consider it more of a hey, we could probably work with this, but it definitely isn't optimal. Um, that being said, and we will talk about some of its limitations, I'd, I'd love, Chad, for you to begin with, what are some of the benefits maybe that we have learned um, about this particular way of doing church? Well, yeah, I've, I've had some of my thinking changed by this experience, um, you know, the necessity uh, of having church online. Um, I would say before before this pandemic started, I was definitely in the category of strong curmudgeon uh, towards the online church experience. Um, but now having participated in it, I, I do, I think, have a healthier appreciation for some of the benefits that, that it might have. Um, I've come to see it more as a bridge. It's, it's not a destination, but it could function as a bridge for us. Um, even once this situation is over, um, it could function as a bridge for people who wouldn't otherwise come to our buildings. Maybe this would be a way for them to safely, or safely is the wrong word, but uh, <laughs> a way for them to be introduced to the gospel in kind of a new and creative way. Um, but it's it's not a destination. I don't, I don't think it's, it's um, and we'll talk about some of the deficiencies later on. Um, but I think the, the benefit that I've experienced is 
um, having the having the type of um, intimate worship experience with my family, which I don't I don't necessarily get on a weekly basis. Otherwise, um, you know, the the ability to worship together um, as a family unit in our house, it kind of sake it turns our house into a sacred place, um, uh, which which is a it's an interesting thought, you know, turning your living room into a sacred place, turning your television into a sacred thing. Um, uh, that's not normally the way that we think of our living rooms and our televisions. And so it's, it's been kind of fascinating to see that transformation. Um, from, the from the first week that we did this, it was very awkward. Um, my kids didn't know, should we sing? Should we not sing? It feels weird <laughs> to sing in our living room. Um, and my son was very... Uh, was very insistent that not only should we sing, but also we should stand while we sing. That is and awesome. So, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, um, so now every Sunday, we're like standing in our living room, we're singing. It's like a <laughs> full-on worship experience. And it's it's been, again, it, would we rather be at the church? Of course. But, uh, but for the moment, there, there's been some delightful kind of secondary benefits of it. So according to your son, and you can ask him this so we can maybe do a whole other podcast on this, is the person who is standing or is the person who is judging the person who is sitting, which one is the weaker brother? Right? Right. Uh, yeah, so it's funny, the, the relationship between my kids, my, my son is my legalist. He's, he's definitely my legalist. And he has no problem judging his sisters who are not as eager to stand in our living room and sing. And it's, uh, it's an interesting sibling dynamic there for sure well i would then consider the legalist as the weaker brother so i don't know if you want to tell your son that or <laughs> yeah, not in my opinion right. probably doesn't matter much either hey michael what do you want to add to, to what he's saying what are, what are some things that you maybe you and beth have, have even learned as a husband and wife leading your kids yeah um i really love the the point that chad is making i hadn't thought about that um but you know generally we always say things like hopefully we say things like you know if your engagement of god only exists within the walls of the church building, then, then you don't yet understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The other six days are days of worship as well, even if this one is set aside for particular reasons. So um, I think generally speaking, that is, has been a benefit of this particular season. And yeah, I mean, you know, the, the quarantine experience overall has been really beneficial for our family in that regard. It's given us an opportunity, it's given me an opportunity uh, to, you know, to kind of lead out and in, in some ways establishing some family prayer rhythms. Um, and a lot of that is, is things that we do on the weekdays, you know, morning and evening things, a little bit more time and intentionality, working through the Psalms together. Uh, but on Sundays, yeah, it has been really rich and meaningful for us to sit down together and worship. You know, we, um, you know, we, we generally speaking on a Sunday, we'll pull our kids into big church with us. They go to their, their services and we do other things and then we all go together. And sometimes it makes for a chaotic experience, but it's also, I think, a, a good training of them. But this has been rich in a, in a different way. Um, there are only four voices in the room, you know, and so there's no hiding. And that that's just good. That's just, I think, for them to see, we don't just do this when people are watching us. We do this because we love God and because we believe these things. So there's been some personal benefit in that regard. And there's a couple of things I'd want to say too, but, you know, one of the things, uh, just in terms of this conversation, I'm grateful for the chance to talk about this with you guys. And I know you 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 say and kind of half joke, half serious about, you know, you're bringing us in to be the ones who are answering the questions. I'm glad to be doing this with you. And honestly, like this is a conversation that Chad can testify to. I push back hard on having this conversation just on our podcast because I'm, I want to be really conscious of we exist in the Bible college world. We don't yeah. currently lead churches directly. 
And I don't ever want to be perceived as we're the experts on, on the decisions that you guys are making, even though we're not the ones who have to make those sorts of decisions. So in some ways, you guys provide a covering for me to feel the freedom to be honest about the different yeah. things, positive <laughs> and negative. We don't and want to I'm, be the obnoxious professors throwing right. rocks. At- oh, my gosh, not. Yeah. Well, but I'll, let me say something really quickly on that. And, and yet, I'll, say, I'll speak from, it from the other side, you know, and I've been on both sides so far mm-hmm. in, my, in my life experience. I think it is great for us as church leaders to be able to say, listen, we might be so close um, contextually in the midst of the, the practicalities of things that we're blind to some things. And so that's the reason why I love opening up the door as well, saying, hey, you know, Michael, Chad, um, and people who love the church and people who uh, really are trying to help us answer some questions that we might not see because we're too close. Mm-hmm. So in the same way that I think you might be grateful for what we might help with you, we're grateful for what you're able to help us see as well. Amen. I think, awesome. I, I think there's, there's been another benefit that I've seen um, on, the, on the church side of things. Um, you know, a crisis like this forces us all to figure out how to you know, problem solve in different ways, how to be creative in different ways. Sometimes it, it, sometimes it spurs us on to make decisions that we probably should have made a while back anyway. Um, uh, you know, sometimes it forces us to make decisions that ultimately might in the long run hurt us, you know, so we gotta be mindful of that too. But, mm-hmm. um, I'm just thinking, you know, churches like Sunnybrook, churches like the, the one that Michael and I attend, larger churches, um, you know, a lot of, I mean, tech support, you know, the, the, the infrastructure to kind of pull this off. I've kind of been inspired by the small church though too. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Just, uh, and I, I don't necessarily know who your listening audience is to this, but I imagine you probably have quite a few that listen to this who are in smaller settings. And, um, you know, like my dad's church where he's preaching, the average age of the congregation is actually 82 years old. And um, it's about 100 people on the average Sunday. And um, they were really um, uh, apprehensive when this started. How are we going to, how are we still going to be a church um, in the midst of this? We don't have the technology. We don't have the know-how. But man, it's been kind of inspiring to see them just kind of figure it out. You know, Mm -hmm. they're doing brown bag church is what they call it. So it's not live streaming. Instead, they go door to door to the members of their congregation every single week uh, literally with a brown bag, they get a DVD, they get communion, um, and they get an offering envelope. And uh, on the DVD is even their Sunday school lesson and the morning worship service. It's it, I had the chance to record with them this week, and it was it was actually kind of cool. So I've been proud of a lot of those smaller communities that have just kind of figured it out, you know. And they don't have the the budget or the the technical savvy that some larger churches do, but, um, but everybody's kind of been forced into this creative mode. So it's cool. Yeah. There's a tenderness there, man. That's, that's really meaningful. Well, the last major probably, you know, development they had was moving from the apostles to the Nicene Creed. So this, (laughs) this is another one of those big steps. I mean, like, are we sure we want to add that? Well, we haven't done anything like this since Michael, anything else you want to add before? uh, Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thoughts. And I'll finish the preface and then I'll list, uh, briefly list the things I thought about. The other piece of this for me is, uh, you know, I've always felt like I had these two groups of, of uh, as isn't entirely true, but these two groups of friends and colleagues. On the one hand, you have a little bit more of the theologically critical types who it's like, op- like you said, it's kind of obvious to us that this isn't an ideal thing. And on the other side, um, 
heavy practitioners who maybe aren't as inclined to think through things theologically, where it's like almost like a duh on the other side. Well, what's the well, what's wrong with you that even you would even suggest that this is problematic? And another reason why I appreciate this conversation, I think it's so important, is because no matter what we're doing, we've got to listen to each other enough to be honest about the weaknesses. So the strength that I see, one of them that Chad mentioned, is it can serve as an onboard. Well, I suppose in this particular moment, it enables some form of participation when meeting together is impossible or at least impractical and unwise. So that's part of the benefit is, you know, um, it was easier. And I think what Chad just said is beautiful. And, and like I said, very cool for those that aren't meeting together online to still have ways of connecting. For those that already had some form, you know, template for this, it became fairly easy to maintain it during this time. So that's a benefit. The other thing is even in normal times, I think it can serve as a onboard to full participation in church life. Um, but then all of that kind of revolves around, the main thing I would say is it just reaches people, to have an online presence reaches people who might otherwise not be reached. And whether we like it or not, you know, we have to acknowledge that there's a lot of people in our world that live online. And um, that's maybe tragic in some ways, but it's, it's the world in which we're in. So if in general, to like to be missional in the cool way is to take the gospel to where people are, then we got to take, then the internet is one of countless, you know, mission fields. And so to have a presence um, creates an opportunity for us to reach people that we might not otherwise reach. That alone, I think, is enough for me to say, as much as my natural bent is, to push back on any, on any, you know, heavy reliance or even, you know, leaning into online uh, community. I acknowledge that that is true and, and that, that therefore it should be something that we strongly consider. And we better have really good reasons for not finding those people in these ways. If you want to say, well, we find the same people in other ways. Cool. I think door to door will be back. Actually. I think door to door evangelism is going to make a comeback real soon. And I'm really <laughs> glad about that. Yeah. Um, and I think we need to try to bring it back, you know, in, in, in appropriate ways, but that's how we reach some people. Cool. Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll throw this in here too. Um, in, in a lot of respects, this is, this is a unique historical moment, um, but it's only unique at, because of the speed in which and the necessity in which all this has happened. Um, a lot of these changes were in kind of a slow motion process of developing anyway. Um, and you know some of the research that I've done recently on technology in the church. Um, I was I was reading through a book last year about the history of the American church and technology, and um, I stumbled across this quote. It's from the nineteen well actually it's from uh, nineteen seventy four I think, um, and it basically says uh, oh shoot where's it at? okay. Yeah, no pastor today should build a church without building in the chance building the chancel for television or radio. Gospel broadcasting represents the growing edge of Christendom, the best methodology of evangelizing the world with the good news of the gospel. So that was in 1974, and you have this this uh, this Christian magazine saying when you design a building, if you're not designing the building for radio broadcasting or television broadcasting, you're missing a huge opportunity. And so you know now it's it's kind of the same deal, right? Like you couldn't imagine starting a church today that yeah. didn't have some sort of online format to it. Um, it's just kind of become the way that we operate in this new digital culture. And so we've, we've been put in the microwave, you know, uh, in this development, but a lot of these things were already in process. Now that does then cause us like, and I think what Michael and I, and, and you two as well, like what we would say is in this process, it's also important to be critically reflective and yeah. theologically reflective like because technology it gives but it also takes away too and, and in this moment we have to really be reflecting on what is technology 
taking away from us so that we're wise about how to use it or how not to use it. Yep. Ryan, what do you want to add from the kind of the Sunnybrook perspective, some things that we have been talking about, some conversations that we've had, um, either supporting what Chad and Michael have shared or um, maybe adding to what they've said? Yeah, I've had uh, quite a bit of time recently. You know, as someone, you know, I was even talking to you about this yesterday, Jim, as someone who's all of my ministry, there's, I don't do any events. I don't have any cool, fun things. My entire ministry is teaching. Uh, so at the third week of March, my entire job, the, the brakes were basically slammed on everything I do. And so I've been thinking a lot about, we're really teaching heavy kind of church. Um, this has created a, a bit of a unique moment where um, our people are going to be forced to wrestle with the application of what we've been offering for so long. Um, not that we don't call for that all along the way, but now, um, you know, our, I love, one of the things I love about our youth ministries is that our, our youth pastors consider the parents of the, the children one of their primary um, demographics in their ministry. And so they, they work a lot with them on discipling their own kids. You don't bring your children to youth group to get discipled by a pastor. That's your job. The, mm -hmm. the ministries support that. All of a sudden, um, I'm seeing families all across our church with, like, their, their father is suddenly the only pastor with flesh on they have and family discipleship is i think taking place or the lack of it is being exposed and there's only so much that you know our children's pastor can do through a tv screen and i think our families are sensing that and i really think that they're having to ask some hard questions um about what it looks like to to lead their children toward loving and following jesus for the rest of their lives and then on the other hand, there are families who are celebrating the fact that they've been doing this well, and now they have the, like, the fact that we can't meet isn't the end of the world for their kids yeah. and their connection mm -hmm. to church. Yeah. Um, I also think that this is going to create unique, and we've already kind of skated around this, so I'm not going to labor long, but we've created a unique opportunity where we, we joke that, you know, the ministers of Sunnybrook, we love to have um, conversations around the water cooler. We love to go into someone's office and and kind of do a theological deep dive on some obscure topic that no one really cares about. Well, suddenly I have a, the occasion to ask people to care about something um, that they might not otherwise, such as a theology of the, the Lord's Supper, yeah. or a, a theology of, of sacramentalism, or a theology of, of proximity and presence. Um, all of these things we can now, we, we now have the this, this little window where people might want to want to listen to that conversation, might want to engage in that conversation more than they would have six, seven weeks ago. So I'm looking forward to some of that uh, this summer and kind of thinking through how do we um, take advantage of the uniqueness of this, this time? Crisis has always been good um, at spurring us to ask important um, and sometimes uncomfortable questions. And um, I mean, that's true at, at a pastoral level, right? When a family goes through a season of loss, um, it's oftentimes in that season where they're, they're most in tune to asking questions that really matter. Um, now, the, 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 the flip side of that is during moments of crisis, we're not always thinking very clearly. It's hard um, to change the way we think, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, we're, we're thinking very emotionally. We're, um, we're just trying to survive, which doesn't always make for good critical reasoning. But at the same time, 
it is it is a great moment. It's a great opportunity to get people to think through, like you said, what what does the Lord's Supper even mean? What what is the value of being in our in I've been thinking, honestly, I've been thinking about the part of the worship service that I always found so annoying, which is the greeting time at the beginning of the service. Like, I um, I think a lot of people are kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm projecting, but I think a lot of people kind of see that as cheesy or unnecessary or whatever. Um, I, I've grown to miss it. And not not just for the practical reason of like, I, I miss being in, in other people's presence, but I actually miss it for theological reasons. Because I think in in the greeting time, as, as quick as it is, as sometimes cheesy as it is, it's a reminder to everyone in the room that we're, we're here together. We're, yeah. we're in each other's physical presence. Even if I don't know your name, um, you're not alone. I'm not alone. And there's something very theologically significant about that. And I, I just kind of missed the opportunity to turn to the people next to me and say, Hey, how you doing? Glad you're here. You know, like, um, I think that's the the wisdom of the holy kiss in the New Testament. Like, yeah. oh, you need to greet each other. You need yeah. you need to remind each other that you're in this you're in this together. So I don't know. I find myself just reflecting on the theological significance of all that right now. Yeah, no, that's good. So then, in terms of the limitations and the crisis, Michael, um, you know, you might want to pick an obvious one, or you might want to not pick some low hanging fruit. But what are some of the limitations that you've actually seen or are, are now really um, have become a little bit more uh, recognizable. Yeah. And, and most of these are probably, I mean, I've thought through a few, even in the course of our conversation now, you know, it's the beauty of these conversations of having all sorts of new thoughts from what you guys are saying. And so I'll just maybe mostly just mention some of these, but then one of them, I think maybe I would want to draw out a little bit more. Um, I will say too, another benefit just before we make this transition is, sorry, maybe think about another aspect of it, just the family piece. It's been really good for Beth and I as a partnership to think through, okay, so how are we going to do this together? What do I do? What do you do? You know, and w- what ways do we demonstrate to the kids what this looks like to be, you know, a full family uh, together, you know, discipling you and all those things. But in terms of some of the limitations, uh, you know, I don't know if this is a limitation so much as it's an observation. It does seem that, um, there is this distinction I mentioned earlier that people who are all in on e-church are maybe those who are less inclined to think theologically about what's going on. I think that that in and of itself needs to be mentioned as something that is, is dangerous as a movement of churches. If we're just going to sort of let ourselves be pulled in by the pragmatism of it without thinking through the theological elements of it. Um, another quick one is it's hard to do well. Um, yeah. And I love that we're not obsessed with, quality, but at some level, these things are hard to pull off in a way that isn't distractingly bad. And especially outside of the quarantine situation, if we're talking in normal time, if we're supposedly going to go try to reach those people who live out on the internet, if that's the idea of this, then it's got to be a certain quality in order to even get the time of day. I mean, to get more than a 10 second watch. Uh, It's been fascinating before this to watch churches and other Christian organizations just constantly struggle, even really high quality ones, to establish a, a, a really robust, good social media online presence. It's easier said than done, you know. Um, also, there's the element of uneven participation. I know in my classes, I've seen this. Most of my Zoom calls are voluntary. And I've talked to a number of youth ministers seen that on the whole, our young ladies are a little bit more inclined to participate in these forms of community than our, than our young men. And so um, that's just one example of uh, there is, is probably in the same way, it probably pulls in some uh, a little bit more naturally than others. And, and we need to be critical of that. So, but getting to a little bit more of the substantial piece, I think we have to ask the question, can the purposes of the church be achieved? 
not, you know, can they be achieved well is the wisdom question, but the previous one is, can they be achieved at all? That's the obedience question. And um, whether, you know, I don't know what category to put this in, but the main thing I've been thinking about is, I, I don't know that we can be trained in holiness if we're not rubbing shoulders, if we're not doing life with one another in each other's physical presence. And if part of the church's role is to train us in, in the godliness of new creation, in, in Christ-likeness, you know, in the life under God's rule in love, then having to learn to live together in physical proximity seems necessary. And it's not that you can't, you know, bear with someone over the internet or forgive a wrong, but uh, I suppose, you know, I should forgive somebody if they said a mean thing to me in the comment section as we were watching the sermon. It just doesn't feel quite the same, same, same as sure. if I'm in physical community with these persons, the types of training that the church is actually exists for. Um, I, I don't know how to separate it from those contexts. So those are some of the concerns that I would register. That last one being the main one, that if that's a purpose of the church, I just don't see how it can really function at any high degree of, of success. Uh, when I first came to Stillwater, I was down at a church in Oklahoma City, a bigger church, and um, this would have been in 2004, and they were describing just the fact that they have these lobbies, that literally a lobby that existed where their, the service was being um, displayed. Mm -hmm. and, and the way that this, this guy that was just kind of taking us on a tour through the church, the way he explained it was, you know, and if you don't really like people and you don't like to be bothered with people, yeah. you don't, you kind of want to just do it all on your own, then we've created this place where you don't have to deal with other, and the, the way he was describing it, it just seemed fundamentally flawed. And, and that's mm -hmm. a little bit of what, of what you're describing there. It's, it's, uh, um, it's a little bit of the opposite of what Chad was saying in terms of the, the greeting time, there's something really good and practical about that and to never have to do that, you know, right. for, Jim, to just look at, I mean, Andrea and I are now empty nesters. For us to just look at each other during the greeting time and go, hey, <laughs> nice um, it, it just yeah. doesn't, it doesn't demand anything of us, you know? I just yes. get eye rolls for my family at greeting time. <laughs> I bet you do. Well, Dude, well, I'm, I'm sure. tired of seeing you Especially all week. that legalistic son of yours. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Father, kiss me on the cheek. <laughs> so I, I do think, you know, um, I, you know, I, and I suppose someone could say, well, you know, these are people who maybe they're not even believers, or they're baby believers. And so we want to kind of meet them where they're at. And I get that. But and I suppose we have to hold intention that principle with the whole. Sure. All right. But if you if you literally are calling them to this, if you're making this yeah. concession, then you are training them in a certain way. And, you know, I suppose theoretically, someone could say now, ideally, you'd be, you know, at a point in your discipleship where you want to come in and, you know, you recognize the value of the annoying people. But right now, since you're not there, but I, I doubt if those caveats are necessarily being offered. Uh, but yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing, man. If we just give people the out on love, um, <laughs> it just doesn't work. That's not what we're here for. Yeah, no, it doesn't work. Um, Chad, limitations. What do you got? Well, I. Here's here's where I start. Ed every technology comes with a set of givens, um, a set of values. And um, it's, it's naive to see technology as just sort of a neutral tool that we put to our purposes. Um, technology shapes those who use it. it. It shapes us in its image. So a question that I wish we would ask more critically and more intentionally is to what extent is this technology reshaping um, our churches and our discipleship in ways that are antagonistic towards um, a biblical definition of community, a biblical definition of discipleship. So I'll just give you an, uh, a few examples. So um, watching, you know, the internet is great at content delivery. 
you know, so you could, you could deliver a podcast, you could deliver a sermon, you could deliver a lesson. It's great at content delivery. It's horrible at community, as, as Michael pointed out. It tries to approximate it so you can enter into a cheesy little chat room or whatever, but that, I think anybody knows that's not the same thing as real community. Um, it's, it's hard to serve one another in a chat room. <laughs> it's hard to love one another well yeah. in a chat room. Mm -hmm. um, the church is more than just about content delivery. Um, the, the church is a community of disciples living their life together, being a blessing to the world. And you just can't, you can't do that well in an online delivery system. And so what the internet turns us into is it turns us into watchers. So we watch, we don't really participate, but we watch, we take in content, we become spectators, but we also, uh, because of the nature of the internet, the internet allows us to sort of choose our own adventure, right? So it creates um, individualists who can pick and choose what they like from what they don't like. And, um, and so if I don't like Jim Johnson's sermon on a Sunday morning, well, that's okay because there's 10 other churches that are streaming on my Facebook feed this morning anyway. So I'll just listen to somebody else preaching a sermon that I really like, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, he's preaching on money this week. I don't want to hear a sermon on money. I'll just go somewhere else, or maybe I won't listen to any sermon at all. Um, you know, so it allows us to kind of it it taps into the worst side of consumer Christianity. Yeah. Um, and it creates of us individualist consumers rather than members of a community. Um, and and so that that's my only thing is with any new technology, but I would say the same thing about radio, I'd say the same thing about television, any technology, that's the question we have to ask. What values are we accepting into our communities and into our discipleship by accepting this technology? Well, and I love your, I love your statement about technology brings with it something. I remember being absolutely shocked when Carl Truman, I'm sure you both know who he is, but Carl Truman, a guy that Brian and I just absolutely love, he was commenting on how fundamentally everything changed when the car was invented. Yeah. And I went, okay, okay, I got to hear where he goes with this. Mm -hmm. And he was, and the basic, I think the conversation, Ryan, that we were listening to had to do with church discipline. Yeah, they're just going to go to another church. Like before you had to walk to a church or you had to get on the same horse as a family. And, and so you really didn't have this. But as soon as, as soon as the car was invented, I was no longer limited by my legs and by a certain amount of time. And so I became the, the one who could then choose mm -hmm. what faith community I would be a part of instead of having to deal with the faith community around me. You know and, what's funny, Jim? So I, I thought that, that, that literally like blew my mind and it made me look at everything different. I taught a class this semester on theology and technology. And... Um, I, I designed this assignment in, in January, whenever I was writing the syllabus, where students had to attend church online the second Sunday of March. That was, that was the, the schedule for my assignment. And it just so happened that by the second Sunday in March, all my students had to attend church online anyway. And so the assignment was, you attend church online, you reflect on the experience, what you like, what did you not like, what, what are you concerned about? Um, you know, some of the same questions we're asking now. I had a student bring up the exact point that you're making, Jim. It, it kind of, it surprised me. But this student said, um, I wonder how you practice church discipline when mm -hmm. the church is completely online. 
um, because we're not used to, I mean, if you're trying to discipline me in an online uh, space, like forget that, I'll just tune you out and go somewhere else. You yeah, know? It just literally, literally it just goes like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're treating you as an unbeliever. Like I'm out, I'm out, man. I'm out. sorry, Chad. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna forget about muting, mute, muting me. I'm just gonna mute you, right? I mean, yeah. literally I just come over here and I mute you. There you go. Why don't you try to talk now, Chad? I got control of this thing. And so, <laughs> oh, man, that's, that's a good that's point. A great, that's a great point. Well, and I got a question for you guys. What, when it comes to the limitations, um, you know, there's, there's the online church where I guess the full engagement is online. Then you have this, I was talking to a buddy the other day, and he's, he's uh, potentially going to become the online campus pastor. And I was kind of pushing him a little bit on it about some of these very things. And he was saying, you know, they have a community of people who used to go to their church, but they now live in another state. And, uh, you know, and so these people still take in the sermons and worship together, but they actually have physical community among one another. But the, you know, obviously the elders are not local, the pastor's not local, the, the experience of corporate worship is tangible in the sense that they are together in a house taking this in. Um, where does that fall? And what do you, are there, is it, do the same criticisms apply? Is there a different framework for such things? Is that a form of e-church that actually, you know, avoids some of the problems we're talking about? Do you have any thoughts on that as a particular form of this? It's one of the reasons why, and I'll let Ryan kind of chime in after this and add, add a limitation, but it's one of the reasons why we will not do this long-term is because um, we regularly get people. So imagine a, a college student that came from a smaller church who then comes mm -hmm. to Sunnybrook and they get to listen to great worship and great preaching and Drew Moss and Scott were teaching them in college ministry and and they really grow like crazy, you know, and they heard this, Ryan did this lecture on the Trinity, and it was like I was in a Bible college setting, and so people get so excited, and then they move, mm -hmm. and I get this all the time, hey, we're looking for a church like Sunnybrook, uh, but we can't find one, will, will you guys consider going online so that we don't have to mess with, and I'm like, yeah, no, we're not doing it, like, yeah. we're it, literally for that reason, um, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit like, it's a little bit like, I, I know parents, so I'll, I'll pick on parents who, who don't quite get the complexities of helping your kids learn to socialize with other kids. So mm. parents love to come to us as a church and say, my kids are having a hard time finding friends. Can you make them find, get friends with other people? And I get what they're asking. And, and I really think it's important that we tell our kids that you know, they shouldn't exclude anybody. But honestly, Andrea and I kind of looked at our boys and said, work harder at being winsome um, and, and realize that friendship isn't like always on your terms and it can't be manipulated and controlled and it's a give and a take and it doesn't always work, but there's still something that can be learned. And I think it's that, you know, it's a little bit of this, 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 this missing the point, I guess, is that it's not good for you to have everything you want the way that you want it. I, we would much rather at Sunnybrook, people who leave and they move to Joplin where they don't really have a good church to attend <laughs> instead of them, instead of them just, you know, kind of just bypassing it and finding eight other people that decided to do that. And we really miss Sunnybrook. No, go to Christ church of Orinoco. And I, I know they won't be able to do it as well as we can, but in reality, like they're, 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 you need to work with that. Right. Sometimes you work with the B team, you know, I mean, sometimes you do the best you can. <laughs> Hey, dude, I think I'm the captain of the B team. <laughs> Ryan, what do you want to add to that in terms of uh, limitations that we've experienced? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I have just one last thing on that and then a couple of other ones. Um, Chad and Michael, I'm, I have a laundry list of frustrations with eChurch. When, the, when, we, when we kind of pivoted to we got to do this, the rest of the ministry staff at Sunnybrook had, uh, they, they exercised a lot of wisdom and insight into we're going to play the hand we're dealt. Mm -hmm. And I was, I, I was not playing nice. I did not like it. I thought I could. Ryan, you and I would get along really well. I told you, Chad. I told him two things. I said, you guys would love each other, and if he ever gets out of the gym grip, we need to bring him to Ozark. Like, those are the two things I said. So I'm in the same boat, Ryan. I get criticized for not putting a happy face on this situation. I'm like, well, the situation sucks. I had to kind of publicly apologize and stop calling the worship services I was helping produce fake church. I had to stop doing that. Um, but... To the to like the, the consumerism point and even the, the question of the, the, the group that is remote but together, mm -hmm. um, I think we have to be careful um, engaging in practices that that remove all um, all avenues where we get to practice submission. Mm -hmm. And and I, I think that when we get to have everything on our own terms, and I'm not saying anything that's not really been said, but I, I keep thinking of it in the context of submission. Mm -hmm. um, when I don't have to submit to um, a, a local um, elder board or a, a local ministry staff that can a care for my soul, but then b um, discipline me when necessary. Um, I just think that, or give me a local congregation in which I can serve, and mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that all of that kind of fosters this this life of discipleship that we all desire. And the more that I am able to, on the individual preferential level tailor that to exactly what I want, the, the easier it is for me to, to not live out all the one another texts, to not mm -hmm. practice the art of biblical submission. Um, and I'm not even talking about submission to authorities. I'm talking about just a lifestyle of submitting to you don't always get your way. And that's fine. <laughs> um, it's obvious when we, that, that children need to learn that. And half the time, I wonder how well adults have, have learned it. Either. Yeah. Other things Jim, I'm talking about. Oh, sorry. Uh, okay. to, to piggyback on your point that you're making though, Jim, like Michael and I, we run into the same type of situation with students leaving the Joplin area. And, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, I've gotten used to worshiping at CCO or at College Heights or whatever for the last four years. I don't know, maybe I'll just stick around or, or whatever. And, you know, one of the one of the questions that I always ask students in that situation is, why, why do you feel like it's okay to rob a local community of your service? To the <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like what, to me, that, that reflects a really impoverished view of what the church is about. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're assuming that the church is there to what entertain you or to make you feel good or you like, because you like the worship in this church. Like, no, you're part you're robbing the church of your service. You're robbing the church of your ministry. Like you're going to that town somewhere that doesn't have what, a cool church or whatever. Okay, well, go to work, get to work, right. be, a, be a blessing where you're at. And there's almost also, and I want to hear your list of other uh, complaints, right? I love to hear you complain. So I'm, I'm super <laughs> excited for what's coming next. But you know, there's also a piece of this where we have to regard, we have to ask the question about the Holy Spirit. So, so I just wonder sometimes is what you're saying is that the Holy Spirit has been unable to in this particular community where you now live. There's just the Holy Spirit <laughs> found it impossible to call together a community of persons to form a, a church in which we grow together into the image of Jesus. No, Who like knew? 
Yeah. So there, the, I don't want to be, I don't want to, you know, straw man these things, but that is always a question that, that occurs to me. Well, it's a sign of brokenness is, I mean, it's a sign of, or, or immaturity. I, I really, I really think that that's why we decided to be more proactive in communicating that, that as God leads you here from somewhere else. So even our, um, uh, our call to membership, is uh, basically, you know, Michael and Beth saying, after prayerfully considering where God has called us, hmm. we commit to, and then we describe what that commitment looks like to this particular body. And then at the very end of our, of our, of our membership covenant, it says, until the Holy Spirit leads us elsewhere. Hmm. So we're constantly trying to challenge people to think about, God has called me here, and God may direct me elsewhere. So that's, that's, a, that's kind of a big part of that. Ryan, last limitations before I do a uh, Kind of a last round, Robin, warnings and encouragements. Yeah. Well, even before the limitations, one of the things I appreciate that Scott Irwin and Drew Moss do with our graduating college students, you know, they finished up an engineering degree at OSU and they're moving to Dallas to work for American Airlines, whatever. They have this whole resource they put together on what it looks like to find a church in your new city. And it is so not geared at replicating the Sunnybrook experience. Mm. And I, I love just... The, I think the, the steps are you find you identify four churches that you will align with doctrinally. You go and check out each one of those churches. And then by the second month, you need to have picked one. And then you need to find a way to get connected and serve. And it really, like they, they try to kick the whole, you know, shop until you drop church mentality. And they're like, basically pick a pony and ride and, and do it as quick as you can. And I love that. You know, I don't know how many students actually do it, but... I love that that's, that's the advice they've been given. Um, uh, one of my concerns is communion. I'm, I'm still very much in, um, in process on my sacramental view of, uh, of the, the Lord's Supper. Um, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not a consubstantialist or a transubstantiationist. I'm, I'm none of that. But I do think that there is something mysterious that happens. I don't think it's just a rote ritual. I don't mm. think baptism is either and i think that there's something collectively mystical and i cannot put my my finger on it i don't have a text for it i'm just working through it about doing that together and uh for example moss uh, uh in a recent message on the lord's supper said that when he when he um takes the supper he has two ways that he tends to reflect on it um, before he partakes and so he's holding the cup and he's holding the bread and he says he has a vertical kind of reflective moment where he just he thanks God thanks God thanks God for what this means but then sometimes he says he holds it in his hand and he just scans the sanctuary looking at everybody else in the room and he says like it, it's a reminder that by these elements I'm joined to all these this is my family and it's through these and there's and not that he can't do that with Amy and the kids and their their living room sanctuary, but I do think that there's just something uh, there's something lost, and uh, and I struggle to kind of put a, a real strong wording on what it is that's lost. But, I know we're running short on time, but Ryan, I'll piggyback on that. So, and I would I would also argue that to some mysterious extent or another, our singing with each other is sacramental. If yes. you look at Ephesians chapter yeah. five, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter five. And then almost immediately after that, Paul says, being filled with the Holy Spirit, sing songs to one another, psalms, spiritual songs. Um, there is something that is deeply spiritual about hearing each other's voices raised yeah. in worship. 
Well, it's uh, not just proximity in that text. You know, be filled is the imperative. And then it's yeah. followed by the participles. Singing yeah. is one of them. And then submitting yeah. is, of course, the last one in that list. But there's a close connection on those things. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, the, this is the last thing that I, I worry about is uh, whenever we've put... So, in, hey, quickly, turn it into a warning. Turn so, it into a warning. Okay. So <laughs> what, what warning do you have against, uh, for our people, um, you can add an encouragement at the end too. So I'm going to kind of jump to our last question. Um, what warnings or encouragements do you have to our people as we, you know, continue to, to work through these next few weeks or months of uh, some version of this? I would be careful um, taking in a digital service uh, in, in segments. Like the pause button to me is not a good thing. Um, and I think that what we're, what we're doing is we're training our minds to be easily distracted, a problem that we already face to, to such a deep degree. Um, you know, we think about this as, as communicators, about the attention span that we have with people um, and, and the, the constantly shrinking nature of it. I worry that when we come out of this and everyone's asked to sit in a sanctuary and they can't get up and go, you know, get coffee, or, like their, their attention spans were already doing this and now it's doing this really quickly. And so I, I, my suggestion, take it or leave it, but I sit down with your family and take in the service as a service, not as you know, we'll do this, then we'll go get lunch, and then we'll finish up later. <laughs> Take it in as a service. Okay, warnings, encouragements, Chad. What uh, what do you want to say to to whoever's listening? So I'm I'm going to be hypocritical here because this is not something that our family is doing yet, but it is something that uh, we plan on doing. I would encourage people to get dressed up for church, and by dressed up, I I mean I don't mean like put on a suit and tie. But I do mean maybe it'd be good for you to get out of your pajamas and get out of your sweatpants. And, um, and the only reason I'm saying that, and I'm not trying to be legalistic about it, but it does send a message to your brain that we're doing something different now. We're doing something intentionally significant other than just sitting down and watching some more Netflix or whatever. Um, and so um, that's, that's a practice that we did get dressed up for Easter. And it was actually, it felt kind of weird, but at the same time, it felt refreshing and halfway normal. And so one of the things that we're going to start doing is, hey, no, we're going to brush our teeth, comb our hair, put on our, our church clothes and go to church. It's in our living room, but we're going to do that. Well, now I know where your son gets it from. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I have a legalist. My, my oldest is also a legalist. I had, uh, I just needed some time. So I turned on uh, Hillsong's little kid service because I knew he'd know the, the music. Yeah. Uh, about 10 minutes later, I hear him yell, Dad, they haven't even mentioned God yet. I'm like, oh. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Nothing against Hillsong, but my legalist was quite critical. Yeah. The day. That's awesome. Michael, somewhat in closing, what do you got? Warning or encouragement to the, sure. the people of God? Yeah, I think my main thing would be, um, this is for everybody, especially for leaders. Think it through enough to establish some categories and figure out where this falls. So there's some things that are wrong. And if we think things are wrong for everybody, then we need to call our brothers and sisters to faithfulness. There are some other things that we think may or may not be wrong, but it would be wrong for us. We, we don't feel in good conscience that this is a thing we can do. There's, there's another category of it's acceptable even for us, but it's not ideal. And then there's it's perfectly fine. And I think whether or not these various types of, of engagement fit into each of those categories determines how we think, through, how we practice it ourselves, and also the level of demand that we place on one another. And if we don't think it through enough to have those categories relatively clearly defined and to understand the reasons why we put it in there, 
then it's going to be hard for us to know how to engage those who may disagree with us. I think this is the, this is the work that's necessary to enable us to live out a Romans 14 and 15 type of thing. And the last element of that would be if you're a, if you're a theologian, you know, recognize that people have hard decisions to make. And so don't be overly judgmental. And hope we're all theologians and we're all, you know, some level practitioners, but you guys know what I mean. If you're more practitioner, then don't think that you're free from having to think things through theologically, just because you're the one who is quote unquote on the front lines and has to make the difficult decision right now in the moment. We all, are needed and we have to think through this as best we can given what's in front of us i know i love the tweet i read it in one of our lobby sessions so we, we have like a virtual lobby um uh, beginning every every sunday morning at nine o'clock mm -hmm. or nine thirty i can't remember what the time is. i think at nine we got a virtual lobby and michael i read through the tweet that you had in regards to you know what do we observe for the lord's supper and one of the reasons why i wanted to read through it was i think the vast majority of our people are not going to be the legalists on that Mm -hmm. they're going to think, oh, does it even matter? And they kind of throw out the question by just ignoring that it might matter. Right. And so I loved walking through what you were challenging on, which is, hey, like, dude, dial it back. Mm -hmm. um, realize, like, this is how the Bible speaks about food and drink and even the worship on particular days. And so realize there is some history here. Um, but it isn't, hey, we're Americans. We can do what we want. Right. Um, and so I love the fact, and I, I really think that's a healthy reminder for us as we think about warnings and encouragements, um, that for us to think through this theologically, like mm -hmm. Paul and Peter and the rest of the New Testament writers are trying to think through the implications and the applications of the gospel and the living out of the faith to Christ mm -hmm. under the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? And then we get to engage it and we get to have like real conversations and we have to bump up against one another and learn what it means like in Ephesians 4 to bear with one another mm -hmm. and be patient with one another, um, to both listen to one another and speak the truth to one another in love. Those kinds of things um, I think are just absolutely critical. Well, hey guys, thank you so much for being our teachers uh, today and uh, we sure are grateful and uh Man, I just want to thank you. The, the three of us are not going to change, but we're about to tape another one here in a second, um, except Ryan's going to magically turn into Drew Moss. And so that's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to shrink by 50 pounds. <laughs> Put your heart might grow three sizes, though, you know. Yeah, exactly. We're going to get, we're going to get the, uh, the yin to the yang at, at, at Sunnybrook. So. But anyway, hey, thanks, guys, so much. Appreciate you a bunch. And God bless you and your ministries, okay? You too. Thank you.